We are truly blessed to have so many reasons to praise the Lord. We gather together to do so, and we need the stirring up that it creates, and we're together uh, giving praise to God. But I love the reality that the praise is not just marketing God. It's, it's actually causing our minds to focus on what He's actually like and what He actually does. In the early verses of 2 Thessalonians 3, and that's where we are in our study of the Thessalonian epistles, uh, those early verses focused on the Lord at work. And Paul taught the believers there and taught us that wherever we see gospel advance, wherever we see faithful protection of God's people against the evil around them, wherever we see scriptural obedience among the people of God, and wherever we see heart devotion, which is an arena that God alone knows fully, we are looking at the results of God's work. Now Paul's going to shift to the importance of the believer's faithfulness in their work responsibility. Sometimes people present Christianity or uh, coming together for church like this as some kind of, of ivory tower mystical experience, and um, you know religious people like that kind of stuff. But when it gets down to brass tacks and rubber meets the road and real life, it's just totally impractical. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. To actually love Jesus and serve Him, to be a person who's transformed by Him, directly impacts the day-to-day cadence of my life and my faithfulness, even in my work. Paul has just expressed confidence that his readers are doing and will do what the apostles have commanded just like obeying orders given by an officer in the military. And in verse 6, he gets specific about a troublesome area that has come to light in the church family. In fact, some interpreters of 2 Thessalonians believe that this is what motivated Paul to write uh, so soon after the first letter. So we begin our reading this morning in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, there's that word like an officer giving command to the soldiers under him. We command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you've received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but the toil and labor But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, Such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. He'll talk a little bit more about this. We'll pick that up next week, but we're going to stop there for this morning. So first, we think about gospel integrity in our work, and that title's intentional because of the way Paul links faithful working 
to gospel integrity, the gospel itself. First, we see in verse 6 regarding this area that the church has accountability and has exercised discipline. So, church accountability and discipline. And then in verses 7 through 10, where he sends the bulk of his explanation of this, he refers to the apostolic example and authority. And then in verses 11 and 12, he calls for personal repentance and responsibility. First, let's look at the responsibility he gives to the church to make sure that they are paying attention to this going on in their fellowship. Now, we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Now, Paul has just prayed in 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, that the Lord would direct their hearts into the love of God and the endurance of Christ. And the fact is that being lazy, and therefore having time to interfere with the business of others, is the opposite of love. It's unloving, and it's actually refusing to bear up under the load. It's refusing to endure. It's flaking out. And as such, it misrepresents who Christ is and what He's like. He's characterized by love. He's characterized by endurance, and so are His followers. And because of that, being lazy disregards the teaching of the apostles that they delivered to them. This is standard doctrine delivered over to them from the apostles themselves. He says, we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, His known character, His reputation, His authority, Christ being head of the church, those who are brothers and sisters in Christ as the family of God have a duty to perform as do soldiers under a commander. And these orders, backed by the authority of Christ, are for the church to carry out faithfully. So, note that these early verses are not talking directly to the brothers and sisters who aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's talking to the church. It's commanding to the church what they're to do with these brothers and sisters. And that tells us that this problem is flagrant enough to call for church discipline. It's at the level of protecting the integrity and reputation of the gospel. Jesus Himself stands behind their doing so, just as Christ Himself articulated in Matthew 18. You remember how He discusses there, if a sinning brother refuses to repent and be restored after private efforts by an individual believer and then by two or three, and finally the entire church family, that he's to be removed from the fellowship as one who's behaving like an unsaved person. It is in that context, Jesus says in Matthew 18, 18 to 20, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the, among them. Now, we, we often you know, quote those latter verses and think about, yes, the Lord is with us, but it's, it's striking that the context is teaching His followers to make sure they're keeping up with the gospel integrity among their members. 
The New Testament doesn't call us to react this way to every misstep and disobedience. It's not like everybody's going around with their list and, and spying on everybody else. Uh, else we would have little time for, for anything else and would be joining with the accuser of the brethren. This kind of church discipline action is for sins that deny foundational gospel truths, either in doctrine or in practice. According to Matthew 18, even sins that are at that level call first for private individual confrontation in hopes of winning over your brother. And if a professing believer keeps refusing to repent until the point of the church is removing him from membership, the goal is still to wake him up and bring him to repentance and restoration. It's not punishment. It's not hatred. It's actually a sort of tough love where you're saying, look, if you belong to Jesus, you've got to live like it. You can't be displaying a a lifestyle or a doctrine contrary to the gospel. And if he never does so, if he never does repent, he never is restored, the church grieves, but at least the church is purified from those whose lives boldly contradict the gospel that they profess. It's really important that our life, in terms of the general character of our lives, that they match up with the gospel that we are preaching. Now, in this case, the sin is walking in idleness. And the word literally means like out of rank or disorderly. Um, It it can mean loafing or it can mean idle. It's like an undisciplined army that's in disarray instead of working together in a coordinated effort like they're supposed to. We want the word of the Lord to run and be honored, as the early verses of chapter 3 articulate. We don't want to give ammunition to the enemy to accuse the people of God and turn a deaf ear to the word of God. So living lazy is not in accord with the tradition that these believers received from the apostles, the apostolic teaching delivered over to the Thessalonian believers. The gospel is all about restoring us to fellowship with God so that we can fulfill the purpose for which God created us in His image. And significantly, when you go back to that, all the way back in Genesis 1, before we ever fell into sin, the purpose is actually work-oriented. Work is not part of the curse. The curse made it harder, but, but work was part of a perfect world. We're told God blessed them, Genesis 1.28, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Human beings are given the high privilege from God as those made in His image, male and female, to actually manage the earth for His glory and for the good of the inhabitants. That's our job. And if you look at every kind of work that there is, that's legitimate work, it somehow fits into this. We're we're bringing um, a a wild nature under control. We're we're battling against entropy, the falling apart of everything. We we are working to build and to cultivate and to develop and, and to bring good to the planet. This is humanity's job. And those that say that they've actually been reconciled to God through Jesus have to display in their lives that they understand this, that they understand why they're on the planet, that they are there to bring good. 
So it's not just talking about the gospel and the good news, but it's also displaying it in my everyday life, making sure that, that I'm taking care of my business and that I'm looking out for those that need help. The curse of our sin, our sin brought, you know, it, it came on the earth and on ourselves. It makes work difficult a lot of times. The sweat of our brow, things don't want to seem like they don't work out. I mean, it seems like it's the exception when everything is falling into place. Um, and beyond that, because of our sin, our, the sin of our hearts makes us trend toward laziness um, and not taking care of what we're supposed to take care of. And the command here is for the local church to exercise its responsibility to for, to confront such gospel contradictory living among its members. The apostles and Christ, the head of the church, have delivered these orders. I mean, think about it. Jesus says, heaven itself is backing you in this. Why? Because it displays who God actually is and what he actually does in lives, okay? And, and God holds us as a church accountable to carry out these commands, so some questions as we think about this area. What, what do you find makes it hard for you to obey God's orders in confronting a brother or sister who's openly living contrary to the gospel? What, what stands in the way of that for you? Um, why is shrinking from obedience to this area contrary to love? And then what do you think will be the eventual cost of a church's failing to obey the apostolic command in such matters? I mean, what would happen if, if the general understanding of the community about a local church or about the Christian its community, that as a rule, they're lazy people? They, they talk a good game. They're always, you know, praying, praise the Lord and all that kind of stuff, but they're lazy as dirt. Does that commend the gospel? No, it doesn't. It actually misrepresents the gospel, and it misrepresents God and what he does in people's lives. So, uh, church is called to do this. The church has accountability and is to exercise discipline. And then the apostles are not above this. They're not like, you know, do what I say, not what I do. They remind them of their own example, the apostolic example and authority. They have the authority to say this as sent ones from Christ. They also have the authority in that their lives back this up. Verse 7, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So what is he talking about? Well, the apostles had the right to make their living by the gospel, just like an ox working in the field was not to be muzzled. So it could eat along the way to give it the strength that it needed to plow the field. But, but Paul often did not exercise this scriptural right in order to reduce the burden 
on those he evangelized and to set an example for them to provide for themselves rather than mooching off of others. And think about, you know, how effective this, this policy would be. If you're going into an area that's never had the gospel before, it doesn't commend the gospel to have your hand out asking for a contribution. You know, I'll give you the truth if you give me some money. I mean, that, that's like what hucksters do, okay? It's one thing for a church family that understands how it's all supposed to work and wants to free those to give full time to the work of ministry to, to do that, but it's quite another then to go into an area where there's already those that, that fleece people uh, for the sake of what they're, they're, what, what they're selling there's quite another to go into that kind of arena and demand to be paid. And so Paul was very careful about this. Paul and his companions paid for their own food. They weren't asking for the clergy discount. Please don't do that ever. <laughs> Toiling and laboring night and day to do so. In other words, it wasn't easy actually to pull this off. His words speak of exhaustion and of hardship in order to make this possible. He displayed his admonition to believers that were actually serving as slaves to work heartily, full-souled, as to the Lord in whatever you do. Like, go for it. No, no, no just like, um, you know, bored, apathetic, doing the least that you're asked to do, but, but jumping in there. By the way, you know, those of you that are still um, in school, and I think it particularly tends to happen more at a high school level than college level when you're thinking about getting a job eventually in a career, but, but your work is your schooling. So do you do that heartily as to the Lord, or are you just skating by? doing as little as you possibly can do. One way of doing it fits the gospel heartily to the Lord, and being lazy doesn't. Because we teach not just with our words, but with our lifestyle. And in fact, if the way we live does not match the doctrine we teach, we undermine the credibility of that doctrine. The apostles were careful to practice what they preached. And the same has to be true of us. If we are praying for the word of the Lord to speed ahead, the last thing we want is for our own lives to stand in the way of its progress. Now, this is the second time in our passage that we see the word command. There in verse 10, for even when we were with you, we, will, we would give you, so this is something we did regularly, we would give you this command, if anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. This order from the apostles is significant because Christian love would normally dictate that if a person is hungry, even an enemy, you're to feed him. But when a professing Christian isn't willing to work, but is lazy and idle, to feed him actually encourages his sinful lifestyle. And that lifestyle does him and those around him real harm. Genuine love seeks to do good toward others. And aiding and abetting a lazy lifestyle 
contrary to gospel living, is the opposite of love. The best thing for such a brother is to be motivating that kind of person to work as he should. And, you know, God built this in. Food is a great motivator. You know, we, we all need to eat to stay alive. Um, in fact, Proverbs says it this way, a worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. So sometimes when you don't feel like working, you still feel like eating. So get to work. Now, I, I want to clarify that this is not just about having a job. A lot of times when we think about, you know, working, we think, well, you know, get a job. And we think about it in our own, in our, the way our own civilization is set up and, you know, applying for jobs and that kind of thing. You don't have to have a job to be a good worker. In fact, if you want to up your chances of being hired, make sure you're a good worker before you're hired. There's always plenty to be done. Like, you, you may not have a job yet. You can clean up your room. You can take care of, of, of the space around you. That's your part of the earth to subdue and to manage. You, you can ask how, if you've got time on your hands, that's not so. You can watch more Netflix or, or spend an extra couple hours on social media. That's, that's not what it's for. It's, say, what can I be doing that would be helpful? What, what can I develop? Who, who's in need? Why did God give me this time? If I sit around just because I don't have a job, the problem is not my lack of a job. The problem's with me and lack of obedience to God. So, I want you to think about how this, how this applies, because there's only, you know, some, some are self-employed, um, some aren't officially employed yet, um, others are employed, like, getting schooling or that kind of thing, um, others are retired. Like, when you retire from your job, you know, the dream job finally got to be too much, because you don't have the dream body to carry it out, okay? <laughs> so, when you retire... Does that mean you stop working? No. Because you're human. You're created by God in his image. And, and your job is, is to bring good to the space and to the people around you. That's your job. You're God's representative. And, and think about all that you can do. And we, and we have a beautiful examples of that in our church. It's, it's just you know, I, I don't feel like I'm targeting anybody per se because we, we see this. We see um, men retire. In fact, they often will say, I don't know how I had time to have a job before because they're, they're so busy with, with doing things that matter. You know, so, you know, working doesn't even mean that you get paid for it. It just means you're doing something that's of value and, and you're not just a burden to somebody else because you're unwilling to work. So, some questions. In, in what ways are you setting a good example of a faithful worker to those who observe your life patterns? In other words, if we take the apostles as our model, and, and they're, they're not exercising some rights that they had so that they could help other people, how are, what kind of example are you being? And I think particularly of you parents and even grandparents, 
How can you train your children to do their assigned work in a way that honors the Lord and does not place a burden on others? And I really should add to that. How can you train your children to see things that need to be done beyond what was assigned to them? Where, where they just step up and they take some initiative. We really, we really want to see that happen uh, among our, our children, our sons and daughters. We want to see them be the kind of people that, that fill the gap. Now, if you waste your resources on those who could be taking care of themselves, what do you think happens to those who really do need your help? We have sizable benevolence fund, and we, we regularly are looking for ways to help people, but sometimes the best way to help person is not just to pay their way, not just to give them a certain amount. Sometimes it's getting into their lives and helping them learn to manage better. Some, sometimes they need somebody to, to help them develop a budget. Sometimes they need somebody to help them uh, develop some job skills or to help them connect with somebody. They, you know, it, we don't want to just like throw money at it um, and just like out of sight, out of mind. We, we want to make sure that we're actually taking care of one another so that we're healthy people. Well, the third thing then that Paul does is address the people that were violating God's word in this way. In verses 11 and 12, personal repentance and responsibility. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command, and there's the third time he's using that word, the command, like from a a, a military officer to the soldiers under him, we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. They're not busy at work. Instead, they're busy bodies. That's the, the English translation attempt to get at the word play that he does. They're not working, but they're working around. They're, they're kind of bypassing working. They're wasting their energies and carries the idea of even meddling with the affairs of others. They're working around. They're working the crowd, so to speak. It, it wasn't that they didn't have the energy to be at work. It was that they were diverting that energy to what was a waste of time and creating a burden on others. You know, I often wonder when, when someone is known for meddling in the affairs of others, you know, constantly complaining or acting like an armchair quarterback, I, you know, it's all I can do not to say out loud, don't you have anything else to do? Um, you know, what are you neglecting? I mean, Typically, the sideline critics are the worst because they understand least what they're criticizing, and, and they're not willing to lift a finger to help. There's no skin in the game, and, and that's just so often. The loudest critics are those with no skin in the game, and, and so Paul says to this kind of person, we command and encourage you. Um, we command and encourage you. He not only has the authority of a military general, but he's also adding the word encourage. He's, he's coming alongside and exhorting them to do the right thing. And if we kept the military imagery like a drill sergeant, although Paul wouldn't use that kind of language, a drill sergeant coming alongside a lagging soldier to get him to pick up the pace. So, so Paul's taking this, he's not just 
ordering this, but he's, he's down in the trenches coming alongside saying, look, you got to get, get this together. Paul adds the word encourage, and he commands and encourages them in the Lord Jesus Christ by Christ's authority for Christ's glory because they profess, remember these are brothers, they profess to belong to the Lord Jesus. And because of that, he says, I want you to work quietly. What does he mean by that? He means that instead of gadding about, meddling in others' affairs, get to work and then earn your own living. Literally eat your own bread. Now, why, why did he use that kind of language? Well, actually, he's, he's nearly quoting from what he wrote in his first letter in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that is indeed what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. That's northern Greece. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Well, Paul, what does that look like? And to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Do you see how he, he ties all these themes together? He ties the, the brotherly love together. He, he ties the gospel witness together. And, and the fact that he's having to bring this up again suggests that somehow the people he was addressing in the first letter didn't pay attention. So it was important that these idle brothers take seriously what he'd already commanded. Living this way is living a life of love. It's not loving to make yourself a burden on others because you refuse to carry your own load of work. And such laziness is a turnoff to those outside the church who need to trust in Jesus as the Messiah and Savior. So gospel integrity demands working to take care of your own needs. I was just thinking about parents again. You know, don't do everything for your kids. Don't do everything for your kids. Let, let them learn. Let, let them develop as they're able, as they have more capabilities. Give them more responsibility. God, godly people work not only to provide for themselves, but to have enough to help those who are genuinely in need. So here, here's the transformation you see. A person who's not godly is, is taking He's freeloading, he's mooching, he's stealing. A person who is godly is working hard enough to provide for himself and to have enough to care for others as well who are actually in need. And that's what we see in Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief, used to be a taker, no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So, you know, like when's the last time you shared anything with any, anybody? I mean, what you work for is not just for you. It's, it's so you can be a blessing to other people. Are you one that everybody always has to be sharing? Now, there are times when we hit, you know, great crises in our lives, and that's exactly the time we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to step up. And various ones of us, all of us at some time or another will likely be there. Uh, but that, that certainly is not the, the pattern of our lives in general. So if you're finding yourself with idle time on your hands, 
The question is, what personal responsibilities could you be neglecting? And sometimes we talk about being bored, um, not having enough to do. Well, what, what should you be doing? What could you be doing? And when are you most likely to fall into meddling in matters that aren't your business? And in what ways are you adding burdens to others that you should be taking care of yourself? And then what bad habits do you need to correct in order to advance the gospel with integrity for those you know need Jesus? You know, this is the area of idleness. There could be other areas that are just as contrary to the gospel, that just as much stand in the way of sharing the gospel with someone. And as believers, we want to make sure we move those out of our lives. Now, all of this, all of this is rooted in your relationship to Jesus. In other words, he's addressing brothers. He's addressing people who say they have God's life in them because they've trusted in Jesus. They've been forgiven. They've been cleansed. They've been reconciled to God. He's addressing brothers. That means where this starts is your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're consistently lazy, from a text like this, you could be a disobedient brother who needs to be encouraged to do the right thing. You could be just lost. You don't have a proper sense of your responsibility to God or a proper devotion to the gospel and making sure others know it. And so in some cases, and we know this as parents, right? We watch our kids. A huge transformation when our kids actually trust in Jesus and we know that they're born again in terms of what they're willing to do, the sacrifices they're willing to make. The, the self-centered, lazy people, that's, that's just a sinful lifestyle that Jesus sanctifies us from. So perhaps this morning, the, the real need that you have is you need to come to Jesus. You, you don't know him. You're not trusting him. You're not submitting to the head of the church, to the king of the universe, to your creator, God, what he created you for. And perhaps this morning, what needs to happen is that you need to, as it were, get on your knees before God and say, God, I'm messed up, and I need you to rescue me so that I can, can do and be what you created me to do and be so that I can be a blessing to others, so that I can be someone who's sharing the gospel rather than contradicting it. And, and so I would just want you to think about what your relationship with God actually looks like. Are you, are you actually close to God? So it could be that you actually are born again, that you actually are a believer, but you're just not close to God right now. For whatever reason, you've drifted. Maybe there's some sin you're allowing, some other kind of sin that's interfering, but you're not thinking the way God thinks. You're not living the way the Scriptures command you to live. Well, why? What's, what's going on? And, and you could actually take care of that because God says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's in the 
the restoration business. He knows how to transform your life. You know, think about what Monday morning in the halls of your high school would look like if you were there on mission for God instead of just trying to get by. What would your workplace look like if you saw yourself as one that was supposed to shine out the beauty of Jesus, his love, his endurance, and you wanted people to see him in you? How would, what would that look like in your work? My prayer is that each of us will practice and encourage gospel integrity in our working. There's church accountability and discipline regarding this. We have the apostolic example and authority, and we need to take personal responsibility and repent from what's out of line. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, and Lord, thank you that as creator, you, you pull together spiritual truth and, and practical physical realities all together. Because we, we are a people who, we're not just a spiritual people, we're, we're physical people, we're emotional people. And, and God, you have rescued us. And you have a purpose and a plan for us in every dimension. And I pray that you'd help us display the beauty of Christ in our work, in our leisure time, in, in, in our talk, in our walk, so that the gospel runs where it's supposed to go and is glorified. For it's in Christ's name we pray.